Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Spend my dollar. It's not about what you want. It's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. Alabama wins! What you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. Hi. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. And I say this edition because I'm not exactly sure what kind of edition this really is. Is it a Michael Wilbon was right, Kiffin is a clown edition? Is it a Randy Watson mic drop edition? Is it an Orville Redenbacher popcorn name image likeness edition? Is it just a Vegas special where Lane Kiffin's a bad gambler? Uh, edition? Or is this a street lamp edition, which is a reference to analytics being like street street lamps. Some people use them for illumination while drunks use them to stay upright. So many choices, so many options. What I do know, and this is important, this episode, and in fact, all of our episodes are not intended for relationship advice. That's a no lifeguard on duty, swim at your own risk, a category, which itself is a reference to the pre-Ole Miss Zoom call. So check that out. As for Alabama's performance on Saturday, well, this is something we can work with. This is a team that's, that's growing, evolving, and developing. And this is a team that might be going in a direction that we want to go. Keep in mind, it's still not a coronation, but just maybe we can go ahead and start looking at dresses. Lane Kiffin, though, I think he really deserves some partial credit for Alabama's victory on Saturday, gifting Alabama's offense uh, with short fields, providing extra points to Alabama before half, heaping pressure on his own offense, selling out his defense, and uh, seemingly pissing off of the media, doing all of this in the name of promoting his program and positioning his team to win. That's next-level stuff, folks. That is Lane Kiffin sort of wrapped up there. All right, so let's jump in and do what we do best. Offense, you're up. And speaking of offense, I wonder, do you remember the days when we would talk about on the podcast the game, breaking down the offense and really not speak much about the quarterback? Uh, frankly, I don't remember that so specifically either, but it seems like that had has to have been true. I know we had an era where 
we didn't have a lot of positive things to say uh, about the quarterback. Or maybe Tommy had an opinion that differed uh, from me, and we would spend some time sort of debating the quality of the quarterback play. And more recently, we've had an era where we've just said, wow, look at the numbers and the stats. The quarterback play is just outstanding, and it's mind-boggling, and, and it's just magical performance. And I think, you know, as we transition from, from Tua – uh, to Mac, we questioned what that would look like. And certainly as we look to transition to Bryce, uh, we wonder again, what what is that going to look like? Well, I think the jury is starting to come in on this. Uh, we're five games in and Bryce Young just continues to play just outstanding. His performance on the field is, is quite something. And Saturday against Ole Miss, it was a lot of the same. Now, what's interesting is his numbers Saturday, they were okay. They weren't record-breaking, you know, salute-style numbers, but his performance on the field, his play outplayed even his numbers. Uh, He was 20 of 26, which is outstanding. He had 241 yards, which is good. That is a good performance, but it's not an outstanding. We've gotten almost too custom to 300-plus yard days. We've even seen, you know, the 400-yard days that, that really do knock our socks off. 241 doesn't do it for us in the same way, but let's not underestimate that, that Bryce had had a, a really good day putting up 241, uh, and then also considering the style of the defense that uh, that we played against. They dropped eight uh, most of the day, which made for a shorter, a shorter sort of passing lanes, tighter passing lanes, and shorter passes altogether. Uh, Bryce put up two touchdowns. He did have a pick, but again, passing against an eight-man defense or dropping eight into uh, into coverage you know, getting two touchdowns against a pick, that's that's not bad. Bryce, for his play, really, for me, you have to look at the intangibles and you just have to just really be impressed. I certainly am. His poise, his elusiveness, his he almost seems to see things faster. So so when he moves, it looks like he's in slow motion relative to, uh, uh, to the other players. And he can make a subtle two-step, almost ole sidestep and step himself out of pressure. There was uh, an article that talked about if you look at how he plays in the pocket with pressure, he really looks like a point guard. And it rec- and it goes back to uh, he was a point guard in, in high school where he can take a subtle step to create a passing lane or a subtle step to get away from a defender that's sort of swiping uh, at the ball or trying to, trying to man up defense. Or he can take a couple of quick steps in a direction uh, to allow himself to get open to shoot. A lot of times you'll see basketball players in pressure, they'll take a step back to create the distance of the separation so they can put the shot up. And Bryce does very similar things in the pocket. He'll take a step back to create a passing lane or to give him that extra sort of half second uh, of, of, of cushion or timing to, uh, to get the ball away. And he does that with such poise, such calm. It's just almost just, it's so natural to him. And it's such, it's, it's, it's almost elegant to watch in many regards. You know, the one thing, if there's one thing I'll say about Bryce, he will sometimes play like the line of scrimmage is a portal to another dimension. He just avoids it. It's the third rail almost. I'd like to see him run a little bit more when it's there, uh, but I love the fact that he keeps his eyes downfield. On the Zoom calls, we talk a lot about almost the spectrum and where does Bryce fit on the spectrum between Jalen and Tua. And from a move to pass 
perspective as opposed to move to, to run, he's so much more Tua. And in fact, he's even more Tua than Tua was uh, because Tua would take off running. Uh, I don't know that we've seen Bryce more than a time or two uh, take off running in, in five games. And you would expect a young quarterback to rely on that more than uh, than certainly Bryce does. But when you think of like Bryce's headspace and as cool as a cucumber nature, he seems much more uh, aligned with Jalen. And so we have a lot of the interesting conversations uh, along those lines. And there's a million different other sort of uh, quarterbacks that you can use. I think Bryce's pocket presence reminds me more of, of Mac, where it's the subtle move to step to create an open passing lane. Although what's interesting is he does these moves with a subtlety that almost belies his athleticism. And so uh, I, I think there's so much to sort of packed in there. But uh, so far, and we're five games in, but so far he's a treasure to watch. I'll go so far as to say this. If what we've seen five games in is Bryce's full package, this is a fully mature, developed Bryce Young. I'll take it. I love it. And if we can have another season and a half, you know, maybe even two and a half seasons of just this, and I say just not not as it's, it's limited because this is phenomenal. If we can get another season and a half of this, that is outstanding. But if, and I think this is true, if Bryce has more to give, more to develop, and I'm pretty confident that he does, if he has more to evolve into, then Rest assured, I have my popcorn ready for that. A couple of specific plays that I want to talk about relative to Bryce, and, and these are just a couple that stand out amongst many. In the second quarter to make the score 21 to nothing, right at the goal line, I think everyone expected Alabama to run the ball. I certainly did at the edge of my seat watching. Uh, I expected Alabama to run the ball. And when Bryce rolled out and there were two tight ends sort of uh, running, running these almost drag routes uh, across, the fact that they were both open – was sensational. The design was sensational. Uh, Cam was a little deeper in the end zone. Jalil was more sort of on the go line. And the little flick of the wrist, the soft like butter uh, pass landed right in Cam's lap or right in his hands, I thought was outstanding. It was a great sort of poise that, uh, that Bryce demonstrated to roll that out and throw that ball and not put too much on it, just the right amount of touch to get it there, I thought was incredibly impressive. And I just like the play call. You know, you don't know what sort of coverage you're going to get there. And there was actually a defender on each of the two tight ends, but both tight ends were open. And so Bryce really effectively had his choice there, but he threw for the touchdown. And again, it was a really nice pass. There was another point in the game. This was in the third quarter, and this was on the drive that Alabama scored its 35th uh, point or its fifth touchdown. And uh, uh, Bryce just threw a, just a rope to Mechie uh, for a 15-yarder. Got the ball down to an eight uh, to the 18-yard line. From there, I think B. Rob had a had a long run and then a second uh, short run uh, to set up the to set up the touchdown. But that was a really nice pass uh, that Bryce threw there. A little bit off the uh, platform, but that's what he does. He is an off-platform uh, thrower in a lot, in a lot of regards, which really adds to imp- his impress his impressiveness. And I do think that's an area where he can improve his accuracy if he'll get his platform just a little uh, a little bit more un- under him. But he's so dynamic with his arm and his upper body, and then again just his poise. But that that throw to Mechie I thought was impressive. And again, there's a whole host of other plays during the game where you know that we could spend time individually uh, breaking down or speaking to. But uh, I thought Bryce Young played very, very well. 
And I am so optimistic. You know, you watch one game and you say, I'm hopeful about what we're going to see, you know, the Miami game, but we don't know yet. And then you get to the second game and you say, well, I like what we saw week one. What are we going to see week two? And then what are we going to see, you know, week three on the road against Florida, this environment? All of these things sort of add to the narrative. And we're enough chapters into the book on 2021 where we can start to make assumptions about what the rest of it is going to be. And in terms of Bryce's play, I really like the trajectory. I really like, you know, sort of the minimum that we can expect to get out of him uh, the way forward this season. Uh, as Alabama fans, we should be really, really pleased in in what we've learned about Bryce and the quarterback position and the offense relative to that uh, for the balance of the season. So that's exciting. And again, if he continues to develop, which I believe that he will, then we'll see even some progression an evolution on what we're seeing today. So let's talk about the running back position because this is really the basket where Alabama put its offensive eggs uh, into with the running game. We know that Ole Miss was playing is, is dropping eight, so they're rushing three. And we know that even with our struggles across the offensive line, we can run against a three-man front. We can run against uh, a team that's rushing that's rushing three. And run uh, is certainly something that uh, that Alabama did, primarily in the person of Brian Young, uh, Brian Robinson. He had 36 carries, which is his highest at Alabama. Uh, in fact, it's three times as highest. His prior high was 13, and my math is off. It's uh, just over two and a half. It's not quite a full three times, but uh, uh, 13 to 36 is a big jump. And so, uh, 36 carries for a buck 71. Uh, four touchdowns, and his long was 21. Now, if you're like me and you saw any of the sort of the halftime shows or the ESPN halftime shows during other games or post-game wrap-ups, the announcers, uh, especially that Barry guy, ugh, not a fan of his, um, but they all like they, they thought it was cute to say, you know what Brian Robinson's good at? He's good at one-yard touchdown runs. Well, that's cute, but you know what all, he's also good at is laying wood and busting off eight and nine and 10 and 12-yard runs uh, against Ole Miss because he did that all day long. He was uh, and so he would get to the goal line and he'd get it in. But he did his work uh, getting to that point, and uh, I thought that was uh, a little bit overshadowed with uh, attempts at humor relative to, to relative to breaking down his performance. Jace McClellan, uh, I thought, bl- uh, played very very well. Six of twenty eight rushing, one of eleven passing. And unfortunately, he went down with an injury, and early reports are that he's going to be out for a little bit. I'm recording this Sunday, and all we really have is Saban's uh, presser on Saturday where he looked like he said it looked like it was going to be a couple of weeks or multiple weeks that it didn't look good, the initial results are. And so he's going to do an MRI today or Monday, and we'll have uh, a more definitive. But it does look like uh, it does look like we're going to miss uh, we're going to miss out on Jace. One thing, and I and I – and I kind of grinned to myself uh, as I was watching the game, and I'm talking about Jace, but you know, talking sort of bigger picture Alabama running back position. On our Zoom call, we we talked about Najee and who's the back replacing Najee. And one of the points that that we talked about is there's not a single back that's replacing Najee. You know, Brian Robinson is taking the physical runs that Najee could take, and Jace has taken some of those runs, but he's also taken the pass uh, performance that Najee was able to put up. And so it's it's a committee that's replacing Najee. And so there was a point in the game, early in the game, and in fact, it's uh, I, I noticed it on the play where uh, Jace had his, uh, his reception, where we lined up B-Rob and Jace in the backfield together. 
And I thought that it's a perf- perfect sort of personification of how we talked about the running back position. It's a committee, and we actually had to put two guys on there. And I know we're going formations against the opponent. I understand that too. But the symbolism is that we had two running backs in to effectively do what Najee did. So I got a little bit of a a kick out of that. And then, of course, Jace goes down. I really hate it for the kid. I really do. And that's the number one priority. But as a fan, I certainly hate it for the offense and the team as well. I think that's why we saw Brian get so many carries. Uh, I think Jace would have gotten closer to, uh, you know, run the math. He had six. I think he would have gotten closer uh, to 12 or 15. And Brian maybe would have gotten, you know, closer to 28 carries, uh, something in, in that ballpark had Jace not gone down. And so we elected to give the, those carries to Brian Robinson sort of up in the pecking order, if you will, rather than down the pecking order, which most likely would have been uh, Roy Dale. He did have three carries for 15. He's a hard runner, and he really had a breakout game, I thought, against uh, Southern Miss. And I suspect that we're going to see a lot more uh, of him. Uh, Trey Sanders didn't have any carries on Saturday, but he did get into the game. And this is sort of, for me, a pound-the-table kind of thing, or or it, it's, or it begs the question, what is his relative health? No carries. He didn't play uh, but a little bit last week. And what was it, the Florida game? He didn't play at all. And he was so talented. Uh, he appeared so talented uh, and just elusive. We talked about his swivel hips and just how smooth and fluid he looked with the ball uh, against both Mercer and Miami. I expected to see his role uh, grow. And it is, in fact, kind of gone the other way. So it'll be, it will be uh, highly interesting to see, you know, this position of great depth in, in fall camp and early season is starting to thin itself out. Uh, Kamar Wheaton is not, is, is, was injured in camp, undisclosed injury. We don't, really don't know what it is uh, other than he's not suiting up. And, uh, and now Jace goes down. So where we thought we had five guys in early uh, August, we're really down to three and then there's even almost a question mark with, uh, well, B-Rob had his his ribs, and so there's some injury, uh, some question mark there. And then Trey Sanders, in my mind, there's a little bit of a question mark uh, simply because he wasn't 100% to start the season, and he hasn't played a whole lot, so is he having some setbacks? I don't know the answer to these questions, and I'm not suggesting that that's the case. These are the things that we need to watch for. And so what happens at the running back position? Do we attempt to sort of create depth uh, at the running back position? Uh, maybe Slade gets some carries. Uh, there's some talk of uh, uh, Christian Leary was a running back. He's a wide receiver, freshman wide receiver. He had uh, some carries in high school. Potentially, could he do something? Uh, Jojo Earl uh, actually backed up Jace in high school at the running back position. So is that something we could see? And then uh, Milrow is so darn talented just athletically uh, running the ball, would we potentially try to do something with him? And he might resist that because he wants to be a quarterback, but do we need to sort of create some depth uh, at the running back position? So that'll be something to watch. The the media reports, the practice reports, the Saban interviews, and certainly as we get into these next couple of weeks, uh, what do we see coming out of the running back position? Because all of a sudden at at the scholarship level, we're down, we had five and we're down to three. So how does that start to, uh, how does that play out? I don't have answers to those questions. Certainly watch items. Uh, tight end, we've talked about uh, Jalil and Cam. Uh, Jalil had four carries for 47 yards. And again, he his 
his production seemed larger than that on the field because he, he seemed to always be open, always be the guy uh, sort of bailing out uh, on a third down, made some really nice grabs. And so, again, he's a player whose performance seemed more electric than, than even his numbers. And we know what Billingsley is capable of. And so every time he catches the ball, uh, catches the ball, it's, it's an opportunity uh, potentially for an explosive play. He lined, uh, he lined up close to the line of scrimmage. He'd line up in the backfield on multiple occasions. He lined up out wide too. And so it's fun to see him line up in different ways, the way it sort of tweaks and torques the the defense, uh, creating the alignments and, and mismatches to optimize his performance. Uh, is certainly one to watch. Well, we mentioned Cam. Uh, he contributes so much bigger than his numbers as well in terms of blocking and running routes and getting open and stressing defenses. He only had the one catch for the three-yard touchdown, but he continues to be an impressive uh, performer and a valuable asset for the uh, Alabama offense. Kendall uh, Randolph, uh, it was as if CBS just discovered that he's a former lineman and uh, would line up line up in an off-balance line because the because once they discovered that, they couldn't stop saying Alabama with a sixth offensive lineman, and he's wearing number 85. And I thought, well, this is the second game you've done for us this season, and it's our fifth game of the season, and he's never not participated in that role, even going back to last season. So I got a kick out of almost their exaggerated, uh, exasperated discussion of Randolph. But I do like the fact that he's getting some press and pop. So I don't I don't hold that against him at all because his contribution, I think, is significant. Uh, his role is significant, even though it's not always sort of a press worthy uh, role. And so it's against that backdrop that I say uh, that it looked like at one point late in the game, he limped off and uh, looked like maybe an ankle. It's hard to tell. And there was no uh, mention of it. Uh, they liked to mention who was out there when he hobbled off. They didn't. They didn't mention it. And uh, everything that I read, uh, Saban post game. I listened to that uh, articles about the post game, articles about players. I didn't see anything that referenced um, his injury. And so I, I don't know if it's something that you know tape it up and, and he can he can play. Um, I don't know. So that's something we'll watch this week. Uh, he does play a, an important role. I don't want to go critical, but it's a very important role that he does play. And so I hope that he's fine and I hope that he's good uh, good to go. He'll motion, and he's a big old dude motioning. And so he'll motion sometimes. And so I do think that uh, it, it, we need his ankles in good order so that uh, he can contribute up to uh, sort of the role that uh, he's been playing. And another guy that I want to call out, and we actually gave him a mini game ball a couple of weeks ago, and we're not going to do that again today, but we're going to continue to call him out, is uh, Robbie Outs at the uh, fullback position. Uh, he plays a little bit of uh, uh, fullback, sort of halfback, tight end. We've seen him line up in that sort of triangle, uh, triangle right there at the offensive line or in the backfield. And uh, I think he is earning himself. He, he, he's not afraid to put his head in, head in there and block. And I think he's earning himself an opportunity for a touch. I don't know if it's going to be a fullback dive in one of these short yarded situations, probably not at the goal line, but, you know, sort of middle of field, across the 50, you know, 32 yard line, we try to get a first down here. Uh, I would look for Robbie outs uh, in that type of situation. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a little, you know, roll out sort of flare and he cuts across uh, similar to what uh, uh, Cam and, and Billingsley did. Uh, I could see something uh, Robbie outs do something like that where he leaks out and who's going to cover him and he might be open for uh, a couple of yard gain. So look for Robbie outs to, to we've got him in there and uh, and, and he's a, he's a, a, an eligible receiver. And so 
we would not be doing ourselves justice if we didn't have a package with at least a couple of wrinkles uh, where he has an opportunity to touch the ball. So watch for that as we continue uh, as we continue to go forward. Wide receivers, uh, I think they had a good day, but uh, not a game-breaking day. And I would say, guess what? That's what we expected. Uh, we knew that uh, the offensive eggs were in the running back's basket. Uh, we also knew uh, the team that's going to drop eight, uh, there's going to be tighter windows for passing. And so the fact that uh, we had some receivers put up some numbers, I think, is is great. The fact that they didn't put up outstanding numbers is nothing to lament. It's just the style of play that we needed to play uh, to win this game. That's what we need to celebrate is holy hell, holy hell, how diversified, uh, diversified. Uh, I can't even say it. I'm so excited that this game plan, that this uh, the multiple of athletes and, and talent that's on this team, that uh, we were able to line up and, and sort of, you know, play old style Saban football. And Saban and his presser says, this is not how we want to play. And he said it with a straight face, which I, I which I enjoyed. Um, and so uh, nonetheless, I want to call out a couple of receivers, uh, JMO. Uh, man, every anytime he gets the ball, he's he's a, a threat to to take off. Uh, he had five for sixty five. Slade had four for fifty eight. Three of those four went for first downs. We've talked a, a little bit about him being a station to station receiver, which that's that's okay. Uh, he may not wow you with uh, the big touchdown. He had one that looked like he could uh, uh, if he had a little more juice in his step, but uh, he he could have taken it. But uh, I think he is valuable for what we get out of him. Uh, but I like him as a fourth, fourth or fifth receiver as opposed to a second or third uh, receiver. Mechie, I thought, again, we called him sort of a workman, a dangerous workman last week, uh, I think is what we called him. And so I think uh, he was that again. Uh, he had three for eight, uh, three for 35 and a touchdown. And he's a guy that's due a big day. And uh, we thought it might be yesterday. It wasn't. But uh, Mechie's going to have Mechie's going to have a 120 yard day with, you know, two touchdowns and, you know, um, you know, eight or nine, 10 uh, catches because he's that kind of player. And uh, we're going to get a matchup that works for him and he's going to light it up one day. Uh, remind us of uh, of what we've seen from him uh, in prior years. And Treshawn Holden, I keep watching this guy. Uh, he's got really good hands and uh, doesn't play a whole lot, but he had one catch for 21 yards, uh, which was one of the longer receptions uh, on the day. And uh, I thought it was good that we put him in there. I, th- I, th- I was thinking we'd see some Javon Baker. Now, he may have played on TV. It's hard to tell sort of all of the rotations. But he, he had a couple of really nice grabs last week, and I thought that he was sort of earning uh, his his way. Uh, but so far, uh, Treshawn, Treshawn Holden has been very active in the lineup as well. And so I think both of those guys are being brought along slowly and slowly and slowly, and we'll see how that progresses as the season goes on. Let's talk offensive line. Uh, I thought awful, um, overall the offensive line played well. A lot of third and, and fourth down conversions, 210 rushing yards. You know, I speak, you know, overall, I think that speaks to the offensive line playing well. You know, I do think Ole Miss rushed three, and so that certainly helped the offensive line, probably helped them a lot. I was thinking up, up until a point late in the game where we did start to see more pressure on the quarterback, and I wonder if that wasn't more of a function of game planning and just trying to run out the clock. But there seemed to be, you know, progressive load is the term that I will use. And so early in the game, they were rushing three, and the offensive line didn't have any issues. And they started sort of walking some folks up, and, you know, and they got, you know, rushing four, rushing five, and the offensive line, you know, still played well, still accommodated, you know, the blocking. And so I thought uh, maybe this is exactly what the offensive line needs, is we're not going to throw the kitchen sink at you from the beginning like we've seen teams do and give us issues. 
but this team intentionally is going to play to the strength and or weakness of the offensive line. And so we're going to start, yeah, with just three. And it's like, okay, good doctor, start me out with a low dose. And then now we're going to progressively sort of load that, but we're going to do that in a way that you're ready for it. And uh, it, to me, that was the impression I got as the, as the game unfolded, is that the offensive line, oh, all of a sudden – the training wheels are off and, and they're blitzing five guys or they're rushing five guys and blitzing another guy. And we're, Hey, we're picking this up. I can ride the bike by myself, dad. There were parts of the game where uh, for me, it kind of, uh, it kind of felt like that. Damian George came in at right tackle for Chris Owens late in the game. It was definitely the last possession. It may have been the last two. I did not observe any other uh, rotations across the, the offensive line. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. Just watching on the TV, they don't call that out. And so you don't see the big bodies running and out. They're just there. I just happened to realize, hey, that's not 79 uh, at the end. That is, uh, I forget Damian George's number, but nonetheless, he was in. Uh, again, it was a possession or two. Not a whole lot, but the fact that he was in was good. Uh, I do want to talk about Darian Dalcourt. Uh, his snap placement, I think, needs to improve. The TV definitely called that out, uh, but it seemed that and when they focused on it, now Bryce is so cool that he he sort of picks it up. But the commentary, and I think Gary Daniels was right, when you don't know, when it's consistently going to be in the same place, then you can sort of trust that and you can let your eyes down uh, or you can keep your eyes up a little bit. When But when the ball could go anywhere, you know, you got a scatterball uh, pitcher, then you can't look down the field. That's a, another sort of second, second and a half that you can't survey the field and those last those that last second sort of adjustment, you've got to look for the ball because you don't know is it going to be high, is it going to be low, left, right, and so we need Dalcourt to, uh, to to work on that, and that's something that he can work on, you know, in his own time, and I'm sure that he is. I'm, in fact, I'm certain of it, but uh, we need to see the manifestation of that additional practice. Uh, that's definitely something we need to uh, we need to see, and this is something I don't want to predict uh, uh, and a, a negative outcome, but this is certainly something we need to watch for uh, against Texas A and M. Texas A and M, I think, has uh, a really good defensive front, and I think that's something that they're that they're going to sort of go after. They're going to try to create uh, a turnover there. They're going to try to create uh, some lost yardage opportunities there, and so I think Darian needs to step into that because he's going to become a target. Uh, as the uh, as the season progresses, and then in fact, uh, let's wrap up offense and talk mini game balls. And I'm giving mini game ball to oh, I almost gave him one a couple of weeks ago, and then and then it's like I oh, didn't play as well that game, so I, I I opted not to. But I'm gonna give a mini game ball to to Javon uh, Cohen. He's a new starter across the offensive line too, and almost quietly so. He's lining up between Dalcourt and Evan Neal, and I think for the most part, he has played very, very well. I think he struggled against Florida, but everyone struggled against Florida. But the last couple of weeks, I think he has acquitted himself very well. And for all the love that Evan Neal received Saturday, and look, it's all appropriate, uh, you know, Javon is the other half of the left side of the line. And so a lot of activity, uh, a lot of run to the left side. And so that speaks not only to Evan Neal, but it speaks to Javon as well. So mini game ball there at the right guard, left guard uh, position for Javon Cohen. All right, let's flip the field and uh, talk defense. And I want to set up defense, and I don't do this very often, uh, but I want to set up defense by really running through the coaching and the prep that went into the game. We're going to talk about individual performances, but I want to talk about the coaching and the prep that uh, that went into the game because that's 
what that's what we've been needing uh, from defense this season, more of. And I think it manifests um, Saturday against uh, against Ole Miss. And so I've got a couple of three uh, sort of talking points on this, and then we'll get into individual performances. But uh, the meat of defense is is this is this section. You know, I like Saban. He talked about uh, uh, because Kiffin and Ole Miss, they go for it so much on fourth downs that you have to sort of manage. You almost have to play less uh, situational football is, is sort of how he outlined it. You have to think of it as they have two third downs. And so don't, you know, if it's third and seven, treat it like three and, you know, third and three and a half. Because if they get a certain amount of yards, they're going to go for it on fourth down. And they're going to, in effect, get two plays where traditionally a team might only get one. And in fact, they might go for it on fourth and eight. And they went for it a couple times where I really didn't think uh, they should have. Uh, they had a little bit of success early, but then it seems like almost no more success at that point. But the point, uh, the point there is the coaching staff said, hey, let's get out of our head on third down. Of course we want to stop them, but there might be two third downs. And so we need to not – uh, so we need to manage how our, we attack it and how we play uh, relative to how they may play a, a fourth down. So I thought that was uh, I thought that was interesting. I thought that was compelling. The fact that Saban made a point of that in the in the presser, I think, spoke to uh, some significance there. I, I like how Saban also talked about we played the uh, Alabama defense played the entire game. Uh, nearly the entire game, I think the entire game, with the same personnel group. And I thought that was compelling. Now, let me make sure we're on the same page with this differential. The same personnel group is not the same as the same personnel. The same personnel is literally the exact same 11 people playing the entire game. We did not do that. If we watch the game, we know that there are substitutions and rotations. So it wasn't the same personnel. It wasn't the same 11 Jakes and Joes. It was the same personnel group. It was the same 11 positions on the field. And then we rotated uh, in and out different different personnel, different Jakes and Joes and Johns into those uh, positions. And so what that typically looked like, what I was able to discern, uh, two down linemen, four linebackers, and five defensive uh, five defensive backs. And you say, well, there was always more than two defensive linemen. Yes and no. Uh, the two outside linebackers, uh, Will Anderson being one and Drew Sanders being the other, typically walk up as defensive ends. Now, sometimes they'll drop back, but for the most part, it looks like it looks more like a four-two-five than it does a two-four-five. But nonetheless, it's uh, the outside linebackers are sort of the, the flex uh, there in terms of do, do they go to the line of scrimmage and so now it looks like four or do they step back and it looks like, you know, something less than that, sometimes maybe three. Right. I don't think we'd walk them both back. But uh, if we walk one back and, and we did that a couple of times based on uh, who who's covering who and what the formation group on the other side was. And I think doing this. Let's let's just think about this. You have the two uh, defensive linemen, four linebackers, five defensive backs, and that's what you're going to play. Now, you may have five or six or seven uh, defensive linemen rotating into those two positions. You may have, uh, and uh, I didn't count them all, but I did see Moody and I did see uh, Cano Knott and I did see uh, look like I thought was Dallas Turner, some Chris Braswell. And so what's that, four, five, six outside linebackers are – Moody's an insider, but uh, nonetheless, we saw six or eight 
nine rotate in at the four linebacker spots. And then we did see some rotation uh, at the defensive back uh, position as well. But but we're playing the same personnel group. And so what that does is it simplifies uh, by virtue of the same responsibility set. We're playing a nickel base and everything's going to be a nickel base. And so whatever they line up with, whatever personnel groupings they line up, we're going to respond to that the way a nickel base responds to that. And so think of it like, you know, think of all of the personnel packages that Alabama can run. We can run a regular, which is four defensive backs. We can run a nickel, which is five. We can run a dime, which is six. We can run rabbits, which is more of a faster attacking grouping. grouping. And then we can run that from a, from either, you know, a nickel or dime. But think of it like, think of it like a restaurant menu, right? You may have a different menu for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner. You might have a different menu for brunch. You might have a different menu for late night. And if and if you're a real diversified restaurant, those menus are all going to be different. And even some of the things that you carry over menu to menu, you may prepare them a little different. Or the sides might be a little fancier at dinner than they are at lunch. Or the serving portion might be a little larger at dinner than it is for lunch. And so now you're effectively, as a restaurant, you're running five different menus. Well, that's a lot of diversity, and that may be for a compelling restaurant to go to, but when you're training a new chef, that's a whole lot of stuff. And so when you think about, we're going to run five menus against whatever Ole Miss is going to throw at us, and they're going to throw a shit ton of personnel groupings and alignments and try to create matchups. And then on top of that, we're going to try to rotate personnel. Well, then that's where you where you create the discombobulatedness or the discombobulation. Is that a word? I don't know. That's where you create the, the, the factors that contribute to last year, Alabama was always seemingly a play behind. Because we know, Saban knows, that there's a personnel grouping that it's perfect for whatever it is that Ole Miss is going to run. He knows it, right? It's the techno bowl, the old techno bowl. You know there's a button. You can call their offense, right? And if you call their offense, you're going to lock them down, tackle them, big play defensively every play. And so Saban knows, and in his sort of perfected mind, perfection mind, he wants to call the right defense every single time. And when you do that, you open yourself up. I mean, it, it's awesome when it works, right? When that's humming, that's beautiful. It's, it's something to watch. But it can also be ugly and atrocious when you're always a rotation behind because the other team is running so fast. And so, you know, Saban talks about, and he's mentioned this a handful of times last year and this year, we don't have an offense that doesn't cover the tight end. Uh, someone asked about it, tight end making a big play. And Saban goes, well, we don't have an offense that doesn't cover the tight end or defense that doesn't cover the tight end. It's just the nature of getting the right, the right call and the right execution. And so when you are actively transitioning between a breakfast menu, a, a late night menu, oh, now they're running a brunch play. Ah, shit, we got to get our lunch, uh, you know, version ready. And you've got all of this stuff all happening at once. It can create confusion in the kitchen. It can create confusion with the personnel, the defensive personnel. So when we say, almost like the restaurant five in Tuscaloosa, we got five things. We got five things and that's what we're going to run. And so I'm sort of butchering an analogy, but uh, the point is the fact that, that Saban said, we're going to run our base and we're going to rotate personnel, but we're, but this is our personnel grouping 
And then we will flex this up and down this menu. If they're in 13 personnel or 12 personnel or four wide or five wide or whatever it is, we're going to, we're going to flex everything from this personnel grouping. And we know that this personnel grouping doesn't leave anyone open. It may not be the perfect because gosh, man, they're going to five wides and we'd really rather be in a dime and it's, Five wides on a, you know, on a third and long, we'd really rather be in our rabbit rushing dime. But we're not going to risk not get not being able to get into that and then be in this like hodgepodge mix things where people don't understand their responsibilities and shit. Now we've given up a big, big touchdown over the top. Saban says, we're just going to, I like my floor. I like my floor. And if we run everything out of a base, then I know what my floor is. I know where my weak spots are. And then we can rotate personnel grouping based on this guy helps this weakness better than this guy, but we're still going to do it. We're still going to do it from this same personnel package. And so I think there's an element of simplification goes, that, that goes into that. And, and I think that's very, very clever. And I think, uh, I think that benefited the defensive play. It allowed the defense to play faster with more confidence, with more poise. Uh, and certainly I think that showed in the outcome of the game. I mean, right. Another example, uh, and again, this is just the uh, uh, the coaching. Alabama, if we want to talk about results, Alabama held uh, Ole Miss to 78 yards rushing on the game. For all the talk about passing game, uh, a lot of passing games are, are based out of an effective running game. And Alabama, or, uh, Ole Miss had 78 rushing yards, and they've been averaging near 300. So I think that was compelling. Ole Miss didn't get their first score until Alabama had scored 35. And so game's not over until it's over, but 35 to nothing in the third quarter, it's effectively over uh, in a lot of ways. And so there again is effective defense. And then uh, just a beautiful example, Hank Toa Toa, and we're going to talk about him uh, more specifically in individual play, but just the example that he put out uh, I thought was beautiful. And it, and it sort of fit better with, with this line of discussion, the coaching and the prep. We'll remember that Hank made just a tremendous play on a fourth and one. We, he read, was it Jerry and Ely, their talented running back, and tackled him for uh, a loss on a fourth and one play, one of the fourth downs uh, that they ran that didn't work. It was a beautiful play. And so Hank's asked about that, and, he, and, and, and it's so, his explanation is just so fun. I just want to rest in his explanation for a moment because he talked about Hey, when the when the uh, when the running back you know flinched or you know sort of flared or however it was that he that he lined up and sort of motioned that he that Hank knew that that was his guy uh, that he was covering him and so he knew when the running back made that gesture he knew what the play was going to be it was going to be a, a speed option now he didn't whether or not it was going to be a toss I don't know but I know who my responsibility is and now based on that trigger that key, I know where my responsibility is. And so he was able to, uh, to to make the play behind the line of scrimmage. And what's awesome is Hank said, as soon as the running back sort of offset that way, that multiple people on the defense called it out. And so it's not just he was watching his responsibility because other people key on, you know, multiple people can key off the same thing. And so they all saw it and were able to communicate it and there's an elegance to that. And then Hank made the play in the backfield that was reminiscent. I mean, it's almost like a, that play is almost like a time warp. We go back in time where, ah, darn, they gash us for another first down. No, we go back to a point in time where Saban's defense tackles that, that joker behind the line of scrimmage, and it's a third 
third down, so they have to kick, or Lane did it on fourth down, so now it's a turnover of possession. But it's such an effective tackle in the backfield. It's just you know diagnose and make the play. There's a beautiful sort of perfection there, and uh, Hank executed it there. But so many other players executed it. They read it as well. And so when we think about the coaching, the drilling down. Not this six menu because we're the most, you know, we're the, you know, we're the, what's that restaurant? Um, oh, hell, they've got like a 300 page uh, menu, Cheesecake Factory. I mean, you can be a Cheesecake Factory and have the perfect dish for anyone. Or we're going to be on this day, the menu that focuses on these things because we know it's a high traffic day and we got to have our shit straight or it's going to be, uh, it, it, it can turn sideways quick. And so I like sort of that mentality. Hopefully I didn't butcher the menu uh, analogy too too much, but I kind of like that one. All right, so let's talk about some individual performance on defense. Uh, Hank Toa Toa, we've mentioned him. He had 10 tackles. Uh, he had a tackle for loss. He had a quarterback hurry. Uh, he was healthy, and he was well. Uh, something that came out this week is that, that Hank was not 100% healthy. Uh, he had a sort of like an illness or a sickness uh, against Florida, and he certainly played like he was not at full strength. He got pushed around a little bit. We've talked about that. And so hopefully uh, hopefully that is sort of the cause and effect there and that he's well, he's healthy. Uh, his, he seems to be playing with less padding on his elbow. If we remember, he hurt his elbow uh, against, uh, against Miami. And so he's playing with less padding on his elbow. And if he's not sick – uh, and he's healthy in that regard, then uh, we're going to see better play out of him. And for my money, he played fast and confident on Saturday. A lot of our defenders did. Uh, and so it's going to be fun to watch to see how how, how we kind of build uh, from that platform. Will Anderson is just a wrecking ball. He had nine tackles, one sack, two and a half uh, tackles for a loss, and two quarterback hurries. And I think he's and, – and, and those are the things that registered under his stat sheet – uh, I think his presence on the field, people are aware of where he is and they play call relative to, to where he is. That can be blocking assignments. That can be we're going to run this way versus that way. Uh, he's a, He is a presence uh, on the field and he produces, uh, but he has an impact that you almost can't, that we almost don't see uh, because the offensive play callers are aware. Uh, they may scheme a play uh, or put a blocking package in place uh, to account for Will, uh, which may or may not be effective against him, but it exposes an opportunity or a weakness uh, somewhere else uh, across the defense. He's that level uh, impact player. Uh, DeMarco Hellams had 11 tackles. He has been very, very productive in putting up tackles. It's, It's undeniable, his production, but there always seems to be sort of one or two sort of missed plays. And so I think he's, his production is at such a level that we'll take the bad with the good, but we'd really like to see less of the bad. For my money, I'd like to see him platoon like he did last year, but so far we're not seeing that. Jordan Battle, I thought, had a good day. He was embattled uh, a little bit the last couple of weeks. Uh, I think he continues to play well. What stood out to me in his stat line is that nine of his seven tackles were solo, and so he is – reading his responsibility, or he's cleaning up someone else's. And so we might have to go back and look at the tape and see exactly what's happening there. But battle uh, seems to be uh, effective in uh, solo tackles, which sometimes he might be the last line of defense or he might be sort of cleaning up uh, someone's mess. So uh, we like the production that we're seeing some uh, from battle. Uh, Drew Sanders, number 20, just watch this guy. He's got uh, a, just a, a motor 
Every single week he gets better. If you go back to where he was forced into action against Miami and then you just watch him week after week after week, he's more productive, he's more diverse, more comfortable. He plays with with more of a grace. That's probably not the right word, but he plays with a a higher sort of level of comfort, uh, understanding his responsibilities. Saturday was certainly an example of that. He had five tackles, two quarterback hurries. He would drop back in coverage a couple of times. Just a really, uh, certainly a fun player to watch. I think, and I might be going out on too much of a limb here, but I think he's a second or third team all SEC player in the making for this season, uh, not for future seasons. But uh, if he were to inch into a guy that wasn't a starter at the beginning of the year and uh, he finishes third team all SEC at, uh, at a linebacker position, would not surprise me a bit because that's that's how he's playing. And if his trajectory sort of stays the same, uh, he's going to continue to be more and more effective as the season goes on. Uh, Phil Mathis is just so fun to watch. He's so effective. It, just a huge energy, and then he had a big pressure with a forced fumble. It was on a possession where Ole Miss really should – I think they were inside of uh, three minutes going into half. They really should have just been content uh, to run the clock out, but they tried to get a little too fancy, a little too cute, a little too aggressive. It cost them a turnover. Alabama was able to score, and then Alabama got the ball coming out of half, and so there really was an opportunity for one of those 14-point swings uh, that we talk about. And what you should do as a coach – is you should coach against that. You should try to prevent those from happening. And so if you're down uh, whatever they were down, 21 points, you're down 21 points with three minutes and a half, you want to try to get one of those back, but you want to be conservative, but you want to balance that with being a little bit conservative because you don't want to give up another quick po- uh, another quick score. And then certainly recognizing that Alabama has the ball uh, coming out of half, you want to be uh, you want to be careful there. They were not – Certainly not to the extent that they uh, could have been. And then take nothing away from Phil Mathis. He had a, he had a big play there as well. Uh, Tim Smith, you got to love Tim Smith playing more and more. And then just on that first drive, and, you know, talking about adjustments on defense, 16-17 play drive to start the game that Ole Miss had, a couple of fourth down conversions, and then like fifth or five, fifth or sixth yard, uh, yard line right at the goal line. Uh, running the ball up the middle, and Tim Smith just closes the door. Ely just runs into just a rock wall that is Tim Smith, a yard short of the of the first down. Uh, I got a kick out of reading somewhere that Tim Smith has been struggling this year, and he's a reserve player and, and just happened to make a play. And I thought, well, this is some of the stupidest commentary I've ever heard because uh, you would never play a reserve player on defense on the first drive of the game. And show me exactly where he struggled because I think he's playing better than DJ Dale, the starter. And then, you know, that play was sort of potentially even the play of the game because the game, you know, may have an entirely different complexion. If Ole Miss gets a first down there and then puts that in the score, uh, they take the lead. Uh, the game could have a whole different uh, complexion. And so Tim Smith may very well have made the play of the game just to, you know, you hardly award the first drive the play of the game. But, um, if I had to pick one, that would be near or at the, the top of the list. A couple other players, Malachi Moore, and and you guys know I love me some Malachi Moore. Um, I question whether this was his worst game wearing Crimson. There's got to be one, right? If you play two games, one's got to be your best, one's got to be your worst. So this is not uh, an indictment so much as an observation. Uh, I think he took a wrong angle on Matt Carroll's touchdown run. Uh, I think he sort of missed a, a scoop and score opportunity on uh, Mathis's uh, uh, beating down the ball. And it seems like there was another play where I, I just felt like, hey, Malachi's a little bit out of, out of position here. He finished with no stats. And look, we love Malachi, 
uh, just but uh, we're calling him as we see him. Brian Branch played uh, a little bit, number 14. Malachi's number 13. I want to see more of them on the field together. It seems that we have a an aversion to that, but I'd like to see uh, more Brian Branch. And again, I love me some DeMarco Hellams, but last year we uh, we platooned DeMarco with uh, Daniel Wright. I'd like to see us this year platoon DeMarco Hellams with either Malachi Moore and Brian Branch. And so I'm going to continue to say that, likely to your uh, annoyance, but nonetheless, I feel very, very strongly about that. Mini game ball, I'm going uh, Byron Young. Uh, additional depth across the defensive line, and he was just electric in his play Saturday. Uh, four tackles, one and a half TFLs, and uh, a quarterback hurry. So I thought he played uh, outstanding and phenomenal. Uh, Byron Young, and and and, and he is. Uh, I'm going to touch. I'm I'm probably going to be wrong. I think Mathis is 48. And then Byron Young goes in there, and he's 47. I think that's the I think that's the number. And they're both big, huge, 300-pound, you know, behemoths. And they've got these numbers in the 40s. I always get a kick out of that. But uh, uh, but sometimes I'll, I'll I'll sort of miss that he rotated in for Phil because the the numbering is similar. Nonetheless, the struggle is real. Special teams. Uh, Will Reichert was six of six on PATs. Uh, for my money, that's my kind of quiet. Whole bunch of PATs and no. Uh, field goals, uh, and then you make them all. So I kind of like that. I hated the fact that his first kick, uh, kickoff of the game went out of bounds right at like the one yard line. Uh, I hated that. Uh, Slade Bolden uh, botched a kickoff return. He uh, called a fair catch and then let the ball bounce. But you don't possess the ball until you possess the ball, and then you possess it where you know you possess it. And so if you catch it, uh, and it's sort of the wonky sort of rule. Uh, my understanding is uh, if you call a fair catch and you catch it then they'll give it to you on the 25. If you call a fair catch and just walk off, then it's a it's a it's a free ball. And then when that's not how I intended that to sound, but that is a uh, a non-possessed ball. Uh, it's a fair game. And when Slade went and possessed it at the five, then that's where Alabama got the ball. He tried to advance it. You can't advance it. Could have been a flag on that. They didn't. But nonetheless, he, he sort of misplayed that. Florida misplayed uh, a very, very similar play in the end zone. And so they got the ball, you know, what, at the one? And, you know, we know that was an aggravating possession for Alabama. But uh, but all the same, uh, I hated that we had that happen to us. James Burnup, uh, one punt. I like the low number of punts, 37 yards. I don't like the low numbers. For my money, and I'm piling up on Burnup, and I don't mean to, uh, I don't intend to, but for my money, his play is underwhelming. And look, I, I am the guy. I am the guy who wants to come on the podcast and say, you know, boot the ball on the Barbie or, you know, footy the blooming onion or knackered on foster lights talking up Sheila's. I, want, I don't even know what those things mean, but I want to be able to say them. And uh, for me to be able to say them, I need James Burnup to have a stronger leg, kick the ball further. So those become fun things to talk about. Right now, none of those things are fun things to talk about. Special teams, you know, Blackshire, get your head up, uh, see what you're hitting, because hits like that are just too pretty to miss. So get your head up. You put yourself in more danger than you do even the guy you're tackling. See what you're hitting and knock him on his rear end. Tackles like that are too beautiful not to look at. And so you got to look at your work. Uh, so look at your work. Blackshire, we're going to miss you the first half of um, A&M as a result of that. And so someone else on coverage team 
And um, hopefully you'll study that and get that uh, squared away. You're going to be a great player, uh, but uh, let's get that sorted. Mini game ball. So, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to do something a little special. I'm going to sort of twist and, and break the mini game ball a little bit as well. We don't give a mini game ball on special teams. I just had to put this somewhere. I am giving two additional mini game balls, and it's just how it's going to work. I'm going to give a mini game ball to Jamie Airdall. And so when Kiffin had his little, you know, mic drop, deal at the beginning of the uh, of the game. I thought that was funny, although disrespectful. And so at halftime, Alabama's up what 28 to nothing. It was it was beautiful. It was a redemption story that he had to at that point interview with uh Jamie Airdall again, which is just magistry. I went back and watched it a couple times uh, because her body language was very much like you're the last person on earth that I would like to speak with. And I'm only going to ask you one question. I don't care how much it is that you want or have to say. And if like looks could kill, (laughs) she would have, she would have committed it. And so I thought that was just a beautiful uh, piece of uh, footage to watch. If you haven't seen that, that's as good as, is that's even better than, you know, Kiffin's, you know, stunt at the beginning. And then another mini game ball to, there's a CBS producer, like junior producer, like intern somewhere that was going to all the vending machines in the building, trying to buy uh, the microwave popcorn so they could pop the, the popcorn and put them in the buckets. So when the studio show came at half, they could have three big old buckets of of movie popcorn ready to go. I thought that was genius. It was hilarious. And so I just had this vision of of Kenny from Third Rock, uh, which is NBC, but he followed track with me. Kenny was popping popcorn leading up to the CBS halftime show. That was glorious. I loved it. Uh, so mini game balls to those folks. All right. So next up, Alabama travels to College Station to play Texas A&M, also known as, I like to call them, State Trooper U. AM is really struggling on offense, and uh, we had sort of expert analysis with us on a prior call that really was looking at the play calling as being a, as a source. They're not scheming against some of their deficient deficiencies. They're not motioning uh, to put the offense or put the defense sort of uh, in a bind or sort of diagnose where, cover, where things are coming from, and I think there's value there in terms of explanation. I also see just my naked eye, non-expert eye, I see AM struggling with blocking and I see them struggling with quarterback play. And so I think all of those sort of blend together. And I don't know which is the cart and which is the horse necessarily, but uh, I think I, I think those are, are are congealing together to a team that AM, who's not nearly what um, what they thought they were going to be. And, and so dropping last night, uh, where they drop a game to Mississippi State. Whew, that's uh that's some ugly biscuits there. But nonetheless, I like AM skill positions. They're skill players. I really, really do. In fact, if if you could take their top skill uh, players, I'm not talking quarterbacks. If you were to take uh, their top running backs, Isaiah Spiller and uh, Devin A Chain, or A Chain, however they pronounce that, and then their top receivers, uh, Aeneas Smith, who could also play a little uh, running back and uh, uh, Demas at wide receiver. And then you take Jalen Wadmeyer uh, at tight end. What's that, five guys? I mean, you're going to be hard-pressed to find five guys, you know, two running backs, two wide receivers, and a tight end, uh, a group of five, so to speak. You're going to have a hard time finding a group of five that's that talented anywhere else in the country. Uh, I put Alabama on that list. If if you were to put, you know, Mechie and uh, Jamo – and then who you want to take, uh, especially now with Jace being out, 
Uh, I think their running backs are more dynamic than ours. If you want to go toss up on uh, wide receiver, then we could do that. And, uh, you know, Billingsley versus Wadmeyer. Yeah, I probably like Billingsley, but uh, I really like Wadmeyer. If I were to compare him to Cam, I might like Wadmeyer a little bit better. And so point is, their top five uh, skill players stack up against anyone, anyone's, including uh, inclusive of uh, Alabama. And they might be the second best if you take top uh, top two running backs, top two wide receivers, and tight end. If they're not better than Alabama's, then, you know, tell me who they are uh, better than. And we can look at, I don't think we think it's Clemson, certainly not this year. I don't think we think it's Georgia. Uh, it's Georgia's defense is really good. We could look at the personnel on Ohio State, and uh, I don't know sort of how, how we would stack that up. But nonetheless, point is, if they're not one, if they're not two, then then they're three. They're that damn good. Uh, and so uh, that's the that's the theme of the message. Their skill personnel is outstanding. Their their skill personnel, uh, boy, if they can be gifted the ball in open space, which right now is the struggle, uh, they're they're going to be lights out. And if they can get some blocking up front, they're going to be lights out. They're missing sort of the quarterback and offensive line, but everywhere else, and hey, those are critical positions. Everywhere else. I think they're uber talented. Uh, I do like their defense too. I think um, now, are they a wrecking crew back like in days of wrecking crew? I wouldn't go that far, uh, but they're really, really good. DeMarvin Leal defensive line is just incredible. Uh, and then uh, and then they have a host of other defenders. They're really deep across the defensive line. I really like uh, their rotation. Uh, I really like their personnel group. And and we have, uh, uh, if you listen to, well, not everyone heard this last year, but uh, an interview, I'm just going to tell you, we got a special interview coming up uh, for Texas A&M. We're going to know Texas A&M uh, as well as we know any other non-Alabama team after our, our Texas A&M interview. And that is scheduled to record uh, Monday, so it'll probably drop. If you're on the, the member program, you'll get it tomorrow night. And if you're not, you'll get it later in the week. But nonetheless, that's going to be a must-listen-to interview because my buddy Chad, I've known him for twenty more than 20 years. And uh, and we do this. We've done this thing where we just e- email each other back and forth, hey, the season and teams. And when they join the SEC, we kind of ramp that up. And then last year, I said, well, hell, I should interview him for the podcast because he knows A&M more than anyone that I know. So that'll be fun to listen to him talk A&M, and he will not have nice things to say about their quarterback, uh, but he will have nice things to say about their defensive front and some of their skill personnel. And then he'll sort of unpack it at levels even deeper than that, obviously. So that'll be uh, that'll be good times. All right, so the Zoom call winners on the score predictions, it, it, I, I think I won. Um, and so, uh, but Cole, uh, he put the, uh, what is what was the, the final score? The final score was 42 to 21, which is a 21 point margin. And so Cole predicted 45 to 28, which is a 17 point margin, but he was under kind of without going over. I don't know how that works. Uh, Price is right style. I had 48 to 24. I thought there'd be a couple field goals, but doubling of the score was sort of the concept I was going with there. So that's a 24 point margin. So I was minus three. So if 24 going over 21, I don't know if that's a big deal. If it is, then Cole won because he had a spread of 17. If it's not, or his, his spread was off by four. And if not, if going over doesn't matter, then I won. I don't know. It was fun to do. And so there you have it. Yep, there you go. So this has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. 
we encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just a shout out, a roll tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, t-shirts, free roster downloads, and of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tide. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.